Well, thank you for that kind reception. I'm so glad to be with you today. Uh, my, uh, we, my son is getting married on, uh, on Saturday, and it was, uh, was a, it was, he moved up the wedding date. Uh, he's into master's work and finishing up his college, and his master's thesis got done early, and he decided to get married early. And uh, this was already on my calendar to be able to be here. And so uh, I was trying to figure out how to do it. I said, well, just do it all in one week. I know that tonight you're having uh, silent nights, all right? I was thinking as Dr. Getsch was, was speaking, um, if I don't get home and get some work done for this wedding, I'm going to have a few silent nights at my house, um, if you know what I mean. It can get pretty quiet. And so uh, we've got some uh, work to do. My uh, daughter was graduated in the 2020 class. That was that COVID class that didn't, didn't get a chance to actually, they had, the graduation was all pushed back and everything went wonky uh, with that. And she said, oh, please make sure to uh, tell Dr. Getch hi. She said, he's the goat. I didn't ask her what kind of goat. But I assume she's talking about one of the greatest of all time. And uh, I appreciate, appreciate Dr. Getch and I appreciate the faculty here and their faithfulness. Dr. R and I were reminiscing last night of a meeting we had 30 years ago uh, to prepare and work in a Bible college uh, situation uh, when he was over on the uh, East Coast with us. And I'm so very grateful to be able to be here with you today. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter number seven. As you're standing there, we'll read God's word together. Luke chapter number seven this morning. I want to begin reading in verse number 19 of our text. Luke chapter seven, beginning in verse number 19. You'll find here in this passage a story about uh, the, uh, a man by the name of John the Baptist who is dealing with a little bit of difficulty as he is preparing himself to meet the Lord. He is uh, imprisoned, and he's got a question for the Lord Jesus. I want to look at this text because I think it will be a help to you this morning. Notice the Bible says in verse 19, And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues, and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us and guide us in these next moments. May you be glorified in it all. Speak to the hearts of these young people today. And Lord, use this messenger to be able to deliver this text, Lord, in a way that would be helpful and encouraging as we prepare for this Christmas holiday. We love you and thank you for loving us for this college and, Lord, for all that it means and the potential that's in this room, Lord, to shake the world with the gospel. And I pray, Father, that you'd, again, once again, speak through me, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we read in our text this morning, Jesus' ministry is beginning to grow. His fame is spreading to all the villages surrounding Capernaum and beyond. His authoritative teaching and powerful healing are drawing larger and larger crowds. The training of his disciples has begun and the crowds are continually amazed at what Jesus is teaching and Jesus is saying. For John the Baptist, the situation is completely different. The situation is bleak. He's now been imprisoned by Herod Antipas for preaching against Herod's sinful marriage to Herodias. Herodias was the daughter of Herod's half-brother Aristobulus and was thus Herod's niece. And not only was he Herod's niece, but he was also Philip, his brother's wife. And in one visit, he went over to visit with Philip. And while he was with Philip, he actually asked Herodias, his niece and sister-in-law, to be his wife. Herodias, who was, saw this as an opportunity to improve her own position, left, uh, left Philip and married Ant uh, Herod Antipas. And as a result, John the Baptist caught wind of this. It was, it was spread abroad. And so the responsibility of John, he felt, was not only to preach the prepare the way for the, kingdom, for the kingdom of God and prepare the way for Jesus, prepare your hearts for God, but also to preach against the wickedness that he had perceived in the house of Herod. And so in preaching so and in delivering this message, he created himself a very high-ranking enemy, an enemy in Herodias who wanted John dead at all costs. And so Herod built a palace right over top of a prison. John is imprisoned in a place by the name of Machaerus. Machaerus is about 100 miles from where Jesus is currently ministering. While they are there, Herod is living and Herodias is living on the top part and John is, is actually imprisoned in the lower part there in Machaerus and he is being imprisoned for the sake of the gospel's sake and as a result of his situation, the result of the persecution, as a result of what's going on in his own mind and heart, John begins to have some, some creeping doubts. There are some things that begin to creep into his heart from prison John hears of the things that Jesus is doing. Notice verse 18. It kind of links the previous part of the chapter with what happens in verse 19. It says in verse number 18, and the disciples of John showed him of all these things. That is, John is keeping tabs on the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one that he had said was the Lamb of God, which would take away the sin of the world. He said that there was one who had come, that his shoe, he was not worthy of untying his shoe latchets. And so this is the one that he has set up. He said he must increase, I must decrease. This is the one. And so he's keeping tabs, even from prison, on the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says, but John is disturbed. The Bible teaches us here that he is in a very dark time in his life. He has concerns, and he has multiple concerns, but one important question for Jesus. 
In light of the recent reports from Jesus and his potential imprisonment and death, he knows the end is coming. It is not unusual that John would be reflective of his life and reflective of his accomplishments. Perhaps he even wondered if he had completed his course as God intended. Did he do what was right? Did he point to whom was right? Did he choose the right one? These thoughts from the dungeon sparked John to send two of his disciples to ask a question. It's a very important question. In fact, he has access to his disciples and he sends and dispatches two. Now he, he sends two of his disciples... And the, the distance here is, I think, what we don't really understand. We think he just sent them up the road. But Machaerus is about 100 miles, uh, over 90 miles, somewhere between 90 and 100 miles from where? On foot from where John is in prison to where Jesus is ministering. And he sends two of these disciples almost 100 miles on foot to ask one question. Got to be a pretty important question. Got to be something that's really, really bothering John. What was John's question? Well, it related to whether Jesus was the one that should come or if they should look for another. This was a question related to Jesus' Messiahship. Was Jesus the one that they were looking for? This gives us pause because we look at John and we don't think about John as one of doubt. We think about him standing in the water we think about him declaring the word of God. He's the messenger which was to come, and he's Elijah. Jesus alludes to it even in this text. Why is John dealing with doubt? John, according to this text and others, is the greatest man that's ever been born. And yet John is facing a time of darkness and doubt in his life. Is there anything in this text that would give us a clue to John's mental state? To what's happening in his heart. Look with me at verse number 23. I think Jesus tells us what's going on in John's heart. When we come, when, when they come to Jesus, let me just kind of recount what happens. They, they travel all this way. They ask their question. And Jesus doesn't even give them a response. He doesn't even say, well, let me explain. No, what he does is he turns around and he begins doing the things that the Messiah was prophesied to do. He fulfills Old Testament types and prophecies in front of these men. And then he turns around and he says, you just go back to John and you report what you have seen. And they go back. But before they go, Jesus gives a little beatitude. He gives a little verse. It's, a, it's one verse, but I think it's the key, the linchpin to this passage. Look at verse 23. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Can I say, there it is. What's going on in John's heart and mind, Jesus tells us here in verse number 23, he's offended. John was offended. The Greek word offended here is where we get our English word for scandal. Scandalion. John's thoughts may have been perceived as scandalous to Jesus' disciples. How dare John ask this question? How dare he? We've been following John, and John told us to follow him. Now John's questioning? What a scandal. Even to the crowd who was listening to the conversation, 
They've witnessed Jesus' miracles and heard his teaching. There's obviously something different about Jesus. Why would he ask such a question? But I want you to know that these questions were not scandalous to Jesus. How did Jesus deal with the question? Get this, young people. The word, this word offended, literally means to have a cause to stumble. There were many people who stumbled over Jesus for many reasons. In fact, did you know that the Bible calls Jesus the stone of stumbling? That the Bible calls Jesus the one, it calls him the rock of offense. The concept, the rock of offense, deals with the concept of stripping over, stumbling over. Listen to the scriptures, Isaiah 8, 14 and 15. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. I'm going to tell you, according to Jesus' words, something has ensnared John. Something has gotten a hold of John in his, in his mind. Uh, something has gotten a hold of him. He's stumbling. He's offended. He's tripping over Jesus. First Peter 2, 8, Jesus, Peter would say, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Paul would say the same in Romans 9, 32 and 33. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith. But as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. The scriptures are clear. Isaiah prophesied it. Peter talked about it. Paul talked about it. There were a lot of people who stumbled, who were offended, who tripped over Jesus and his ministry. Jesus was a stone of stumbling, the rock of offense. He offended the Pharisees. He offended the Sadducees. He offended the people in his hometown synagogue. He offended some of his own followers and they stopped following him. And even the Jewish people. And all you've got to do is bring up Jesus in conversation, young people, and you will realize today that Jesus is still a stone of stumbling for many, many people. You'll find out that the mention of Jesus is a word of offense. But, but, but this is John. He's not a Pharisee. Not a Sadducee, not a casual follower. This is the one who ate locusts and wild honey and was was robed in camel's fur. What's going on with John? Go with me just back a couple of chapters. Luke has laid the foundation for this earlier on in his letter. In Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, I want you to look at what John has been preaching The message that John has been preaching. The message that John has been preaching. This is what he's been telling everyone. This is what he's been running around telling everyone about Jesus. Look with me at Luke 3. And look at verses 16 and 17 here in this text. The Bible says, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Look at verse 17. He continues. He says, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his his garner with the chaff. He will burn with fire and quenchable. That was John's message. John's message wasn't just, 
Hey, the Redeemer is here. Love has arrived. No, his fan is in his hand. He's going to purge the threshing floor. Go back to our text in Luke 7. You want to know what's happening with John? Get this, young people. Jesus is failing to meet John's expectations. He's been offended. He's stumbling. In fact, you'll notice in verse 18, verse 18 of our text connects the, John's doubts with what's happened earlier on in the chapter. It says in verse 18, it says, And the disciples of John showed him all these things. What things? All you have to do is read Luke chapter number 7, and you get an idea of how John's expectations are failing. The first story in Luke chapter number 7 is the healing of a centurion servant. Here's a Gentile, one of their oppressors, the deliverer, the Messiah, is supposed to deliver them. He's supposed to be king and bring us out of all this mess. He's supposed to deliver us from this tyranny. And yet Jesus is out healing a servant of one of our oppressors. The next story, he goes to an outskirt area, a place by the name of Nain. Scholars can't even tell us really exactly where Nain is. They believe it's a suburb of Samaria. Jesus goes to a suburb of Samaria and there he meets a procession, a funeral procession, and he raises a dead, dead woman's son, a widow's son. She's got, no, she's got no heir and she's got no husband and Jesus resurrects him from the dead. All this stuff gets reported to John. Now interpret this through John in the Jewish lens. Here is Jesus the Messiah, the one who's come to redeem us from our oppressors, and yet he's helping our oppressors. He's healing people in our oppressors' households. He's healing their servants. And on top of that, rather than being where he needs to be in Jerusalem, high profile, putting himself out there for everybody to believe, he's in this small town out here with this widow who really means nothing in the grand scheme of it. He's in a suburb of Samaria and he's raising the dead out there. What good is that going to do? And John in his mind gets offended. Gets offended. These things come back to him. And he says, this isn't what the Messiah is supposed to be doing. The truth is, Jesus wasn't doing what John expected him to do. He wasn't living up to the expectations, to his idea, to the actions that he expected from him. And John is stumbling over Jesus. So here's what I believe is going on. Young people get this, because this is where it connects. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been offended by God? We can take up offenses and we can get offended at little things, but have you really been offended at God? Have you ever been resentful, angry, perhaps pouting at the way that God is running your life? And at the way that God is running the universe in which you live? Would it seem to you that perhaps God has been uncaring at times in your life or unkind at times in your life? Or that God has been unfair with you in his dealings? 
That he hasn't done what you thought he should do. That's not the right way. That's not fair. That's not kind. I've gone through some things. I've seen some things. Well, I've been in ministry long enough to know that there are people today. And if they are not you, you will come in contact with them who literally have an offense with God. They don't like what God is doing. And they don't like the way that God is doing it. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. You've felt this way before. And so have I. I've had these moments in my life, and I'm sure that you've had them in yours as well, times when what God is doing is puzzling to me. Or if he's listening at all. Times when I stumble and I trip over God and his plan and I step back and go, God, that can't be part of the plan. That's not what I expected you to do. Times when I'm offended at what God is doing in my life. Can I tell you, if you have times when you question where God is doing, so uh, not me, can I tell you, John the Baptist was the greatest man ever been born. And he tripped over the plan of God. He tripped over what Jesus was doing. You, you are, I don't think anybody's was like, okay, all greater than John the Baptist, please stand up. Any takers? No, I thought not. Then I guess we should include ourselves in the potentials for this. In the possibility of having this a reality in our life at some point. And can I tell you, there's some great men of God that you go back into the Old Testament and you begin to read many godly men in the Bible express doubts to God about their ability to serve Him, about God's plan and whether they knew. Moses says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to the, the Israelites in, in Egypt? Hey, listen, Gideon... And Jeremiah were all fraught with uncertainty about their place in God's plan. Abraham doubted God's promises. Joshua questioned God's actions. Even the Lord's disciples voiced their reservations about what he was doing over and over and over again. Job questioned God. The prophet Habakkuk questioned God about his timing. And God did not rebuke him. I'm just going to tell you, to have doubts and have questions and to face these kinds of situations where we trip over what God is doing or potential or his plan is really part of humanity. It's part of living in a, in a real world that's fraught with real difficulties and real sorrows and directions and turns that we can never anticipate in our own humanity. And, and what we have to do at some point is we have to subjugate ourselves to the divine sovereignty of God and recognize that in every place and at every turn, whether we like it or not, God's hand and his doings are all good. Always Good. So, for the little time that I have left, I want to look at some lessons that John learns in this text. They are lessons that I think can help us. There are several. I'm only going to just share a few here this morning. John learns some valuable lessons in the midst of his doubt, and we can learn some lessons with John. In those moments when we trip, when we stumble, when we get offended, when we've got some questions for God, God, I've got some questions for you. 
In those moments, there are some things we can learn from John during his stumbling that will help us during ours. Notice with me, if you would, in verse number 28, I want you to see the first lesson is a lesson about reality. It's a lesson about reality, and that is this, even good people stumble. Even good people. Look at verse 28. Jesus would say, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Here is John the Baptist, the greatest man ever been born. Yet he stumbled over what Jesus was doing. He stumbled over God's will. He stumbled over the direction he saw God going. Specifically, he's stumbling over the ministry of the Lord Jesus. You know, I'm going to tell you, young people, sometimes God goes in directions that you're going to find difficult. You're going to find God taking turns sometimes that you don't think he should take and God allowing things into your life that you don't think he should allow. Some of you may not even return to college before something like this happens in your own life or in your own family. God forbid that it should, but we live in a world where these kinds of things are more normal and to be expected where things take a terrible, terrible turn. In my ministry, there have been times where I have sat with people and I have held their hands and I have consoled them and I have hugged them. I have a, a lady who just two weeks ago, she texted me. She said, Pastor, please pray for us. Please pray for our family. She said, we are coming up on the five-year anniversary of my son's death. She's in her early 50s, five years ago, I received a phone call one morning and she said, Pastor, I said, yes. She said, can you come to the house? I said, I can. I said, what's happened? She said, well, the police and the paramedics are here. She said, this morning, she says, I woke up to find our son, Caleb, who was 20, dead in his bed. Now, Caleb had suffered for a long time with some mild form of autism and unknown to the family, he had an enlarged heart. And when she woke up that morning to wake him up and to knock on his door and to open his bedroom and to get him moving and motivated, he did not move. And she discovered that he was dead. She has had all sorts of difficulty in five years, thinking about her son's death, dealing with it. I want to tell you, life takes some turns sometimes. God goes in some directions. And she sat in my office and we have talked and she has asked questions. Why would God allow something like this? Why would, why would God take my son, he was doing so well. He was taking steps. He was, doing, he was doing the best he had ever done. Pastor, why would God allow something like this to be able to happen in my life? Why would he do this to our family? And struggle and struggle and struggle. It's a lesson about reality, young people. Even good people stumble. Even people who love God stumble. God makes decisions that we do not like. God sometimes delays even when we're praying for something. And really, this is all about unmet expectation. 
It's having an expectation of what God is going to do and what he's going to deliver and, and the results. And we, we step back from it. You go, that, that is not the way that I planned this. And that is not the way that it, this should have, have worked out. There is a lesson here about reality. You need to realize, and I need to realize, that just because you stumble doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change your character. In fact, after all of this happens, you know what Jesus turns around to the crowd and does? He said, listen, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? What did you go out to see? A reed shaking in the wind. You know why he said that? Because in this moment, to the eyes of the crowd, that's exactly what John looked like. He looked like a reed vacillating in the wind. And Jesus said, that's not what you went to see. You went to see a man of conviction. You went to see a man who knew who he was and knew who the Messiah was. That's what it was. Listen, Jesus is trying to encourage the people to let them know this is an anomaly in John's life. This is not the norm This is a time, a season that he's got to go through. He's going to recover from this. Listen, young people, there's there's changes taking place in the world in which we live. Switching into and out of Christianity today, there's a lot of young people that are doubting their faith. A lot of young people who are departing from the faith, that they don't believe by the time that they're 30, they no longer, this continue, this vacillation continues between people who are religious and religiously unaffiliated in Americans ages 15 to 29. Recent reports say this, most significantly, each new generation sees 31% of people who were raised Christian become religiously unaffiliated by the time they reach 30. 30%. While 21% of those grew up with no religion actually become Christian. So we're seeing a switching of roles and a switching of changes. And a lot of people have problems. They switch their label because you'll ask them, they'll say, I have a problem with God. I have a problem the way God handled this. I had a problem the way that God worked in this. So there's a lesson here about reality. Notice, secondly, look at verse 22 of our text. There's a lesson not only about reality, even good people stumble. There's a lesson about response. And that is this. Get this, young people. God can handle your questions. God can handle your questions. In verse 22 of our text, then Jesus answering unto them, go your way and tell John what you've seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to the poor, the gospel preached. Can I tell you, the the stumbling of John did not worry Jesus. The stumbling of John did not make Jesus angry. It did not make Jesus want to rebuke him. Listen, when John comes with questions, Jesus doesn't revile him. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus hears John's question. He proves himself, and then he quotes Scripture. I mean, what a wonderful response from the Son of God. He just goes about doing Messiah stuff. Right? I'm just, listen, I'm going to show you. Can I show you just, okay, you guys sit over there and just watch. And he goes about a day's work in the life of the Messiah. And he says, okay, blessed is he who's not stumbled. And go back and tell John what you saw. That's his response. Watch me. You know what, young people, what you'll find is you'll often find that if you'll be patient with God, God will prove in the long run exactly what he is doing. He'll show in the end exactly where this is all going. From our, 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 uh, our standpoint, we, we don't do it. You know, I've ever known someone that, that does needlepoint, 
Where they, they, they've got the, the little round circle and they stick in and through and stick in through and then, you know. And if you're ever watching that, like from the bottom, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. They just keep going through and pulling it through and keep going through and pulling it through. And, you, and you're like, man, what is that going to be? And then the person gets done and they turn it around to you and you're like, wow. Like, I wasn't expecting that. That's actually a pretty good looking picture. You did good. From our vantage point, from our vantage point, everything that God does kind of looks messy to us. From our vantage point, we can see where it's not going to make any sense at all. But one of these days, perhaps in eternity, God will whip it around. And he will show you the masterpiece called your life that he's been working on. Even through the times when you've been stumbling. Even through the times when you've been offended. He does all of this in this text, in verse number 21. He does all of these things for what reason? To reassure John what he already knew to be true. That is, John already knew it. He just needed reassurance. John already knew it. He just needs somebody to tell him again. And that's what Jesus is going to do. He doesn't rebuke him. He patiently just puts on display everything that John already knows. And people, sometimes... When you go through difficult times, you're going to doubt what you know, and you need somebody who's going to step in. I know as a pastor, sometimes I feel like I don't have the words. I feel like I don't have the right things to say. But Jesus reminds us here that the right thing to say is simply the thing that they'd forgotten. Simply the thing that they already knew. John already knew who Jesus was. He just needed to be reminded of the goodness of God. Think about it. Even when Job had his complaint to God, the Lord did not treat him harshly. He didn't treat him harshly. Now, it's a little funny interaction, right? When you get to, you know, Job 38 and, and the, the interaction is taking place and God says, Job, shut up for a minute. I'm, 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 by the way, it's my translation. That's not what the King James says, but. <laughs> Job, be quiet for a minute. He says, I, I need to talk to you. He says, well, all your complaints. And where were you when I made everything? I don't, I don't recall. Seeing you standing beside me when I was speaking everything to existence. Were you there? I thought not. You just be quiet and let me do what I do. Sometimes God needs to take us aside. But he doesn't harshly rebuke Job. When I think about Elijah, Elijah came off the mountain, great victory. He comes down, he's like, I just want to die. I just want to die. I'll just stay here. And you know what, truthfully, if Elijah really wanted to die, all he had to do was wait. Jezebel would have been glad to take care of that for him. He really didn't want to die. That was just what was in his heart at that time. And you know what God does? God doesn't look down at Elijah. He's like, I'm all alone. I'm the last one. I'm the last one standing for God. God doesn't take him and wake up, boy. What is wrong with you? No, he, he gives him a tree and shade and a brook. And he feeds him with ravens. God in his kindness meets the needs of this man who is going through this inner turmoil. Young people, we have a God who does things for his children and not a God who does things to his children. And you need to remember when you are going through a difficulty in your life of the God that you serve 
and the way that he operates. He is not trying to do something to you. He's trying to do something for you. There's a third lesson in this text. It's found in verses 22 and 23 of our text. It's a lesson about reversals. He does all these things, and then he gives this little beatitude, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And what he's intending to do is he's intending to reverse John's thought to this. The lesson about reversals is this. God can turn your stumbling blocks into stepping stones. God can turn your stumbling blocks into stepping stones. John was struggling with his faith in a very dark time. But the Lord encouraged John during this time. John could now face death with certainty. John could be satisfied in the work of his life. He could step back and go, I am so glad I got that right. I am so glad I chose the right one. I'm so glad that Jesus is the Messiah. John could be confident that he stood up for the right things, that he would be rewarded when he met the Lord. He would be glad about that. Listen, God wants you strong so that you can stand. He doesn't want you to doubt in the dark times. You've heard it before. Never doubt in the dark what God gave you in the light. God wants to take, what God does for John is what he'll do for you. He will reverse your situation, even in your difficult times, even with your questions. He can handle the questions. He says, come on, listen, your Bible can handle the questions. Your God can handle the questions. You can just bring them on. Listen, maybe not everything will be satisfied in your own mind because God is far beyond who we are, but God invites the questions. He invites us to come to him. His word has the answers. And if you will research them out and seek them out and seek God in his face, God will do a reversal in your life and he'll take the things that you are stumbling over and he will make them the stepping stones to the next level of faith in your life. He will build you and make you into what he wants to be. And sometimes the vehicle that God chooses to be able to advance us in his life is suffering. I wish he had a different vehicle. I wish he had a different vehicle. I got picked up from the airport yesterday. The man who picked me up, picked me up in a Lincoln Navigator. It was a nice ride. I remember thinking as I was waiting, I'm sure glad I'm waiting on a Lincoln Navigator. Because I saw a couple other people get picked up. And they weren't in quite a nice of vehicles. I mean, it had been fine if it was a Toyota Corolla. It had been okay. The ride would have been okay. We would have gotten there. Any, any Corolla driver? I'm just kidding. I don't want to know if you're a Corolla driver. Sometimes I don't like the vehicle that God chooses. I don't like the way that, God, I want to get a different vehicle. Let me out. You ever decide to get on a roller coaster, and then the second they strap you in, you're like, no, I want out. <laughs> click, 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 click. You're in, buddy. You're not coming out of that. And that's oftentimes the way it feels in life, in the Christian life. God clicks us in and we go, God, I, don't, I want out, I want out, I want out. Click, 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 click. But God's working. He can take the things that you're stumbling over. I love this story. I, I just preached this last week on, 
on Peter walking on the water. And the goal of that whole passage is the development of the faith of the disciples. Matthew develops their faith all the way through. Oh, ye little faith, little faith, little faith. He does it like several times throughout the gospel of Matthew. And it's again there in, in Matthew 14 where the story appears. And, and I was telling our people, I said, that the thought there of that passage is when Jesus comes to them on the water, everything that is over their head is under his feet. And the Bible says that when Christ resurrected, he put all things under his feet. Everything is subjugated to God. So when God allows things in your life, you need to remember everything in this life that's over your head is already under the feet of your Savior. Already under the feet of your God. There's a fourth and last lesson. I'll give it to you and be done. It's a lesson about repercussions. It's found in verses 24 to 28 because there are some people here who are standing by watching everything that transpires. And here's the lesson about repercussions. Someone else may stumble watching you. Someone else may stumble watching you. Realize that as you try and strengthen yourself, that God has given you influence, and influence is a wonderful gift. Perhaps one of the greatest gifts that God gives us in this world is the ability to be able to influence others. And sometimes when we stumble, somebody else might trip with us. In fact, someone else might even trip over us. To prevent that, Jesus undergirds the character of John. To prevent that, Jesus says, this is an anomaly. This is not who you went out to see. Don't be discouraged by John's doubts. And he encourages, but there's always repercussions to our questions. Perhaps someone might stumble over at you. Influence is a great gift, but let me say, be careful that your stumbles don't become your stops. Be careful that your stumbles don't become your stops. Psalm 37, 23, and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Jesus is upholding John with his hand. He's getting John up off the ground and dusting him off, sends the disciples on back. You just go tell John what you saw here. Then he turns to the people and he said, don't be discouraged by what's just happened. Don't allow what has happened to John to discourage you from following. Don't let that happen. Because the truth of the matter is, every one of us are just rehabilitated stumblers. You're a stumbler, and I'm a stumbler. And if you haven't stumbled recently, just give it a while. Can I say, young people, here is John, the offended Baptist, the stumbling Baptist, the tripping guy, tripping over what God has done. And it's normal. If the greatest man that was ever born stumbled over what God was doing, there are going to be times when you'll stumble over what God does in your life. But just don't let those stumbles turn into stops. Let those stumbling blocks turn into stepping stones and realize that your God is not thwarted and he's not confused by your questions. He can handle your questions and he can handle your doubts. And he loves you and he wants to help you get along. You're going to have times 
All of us have times, seasons, when we wonder what God is doing. But in those moments, we need to subjugate ourselves to the sovereign hand of a God who always does things for his children and not to his children.